Fintech Australia and Tier 1 People present the 2022 People's Choice Awards. The Finney's Award, where the Australian fintech community gets to decide the winner. Make sure to join us on the 23rd of June, 2022 in Melbourne for the industry's most prestigious awards event. Now here are a few words from one of this year's finalists. Hi, I'm Josh, the founder and CEO of Indebted, uh, and Indebted is here to change the world of consumer debt recovery for good. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dex. Good to be here. Mate, it's awesome to have you with us. Um, we're here to talk about the People's Choice Award finalists in FinTech of the Year. Congrats to you all for, for making it this far. How are you and the team at Indebted feeling? Yeah, good, good. It's been, well, I feel like it's been a massive just few years, right? We rolled in from from pandemic to post-pandemic into the world that we're in now, but um, been good, but busy, lots of growth, lots of executing. Um, I think everyone's definitely... Yeah, everyone always feels ready for a break, but uh, no, it's things are things are going really well. Awesome, awesome. Now, um, we're we're here to talk about the Finneys, and we're going to do a, a two parter today. Actually, a bit of a special one. Um, first part's going to be on the Finneys, and then we're going to talk about something really big that happened just a couple of weeks ago, where you guys were recognised as the best place to work in Australia. Like, <laughs> what an incredible achievement! Yeah, so it was. Uh, yeah, look, we 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 thought we placed well. Um, we thought we placed pretty well within tech, but to take out the overall award was, uh, yeah, a, a really really great shock. But for everyone, it was a pretty pretty amazing moment. Awesome. Well, Josh, um, I guess congratulations, you know, again on making it to the People's Choice Finals. This is the award that the fintech community gets to decide, um, and it's become, I think, a real favorite in the category, mainly because of the kudos of being, you know selected by your peers. Um, but look, I thought before we kind of went into some of the specifics on why the fintech community should vote for indebted, do you want to tell us a little bit about the big problem that you guys solve? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the pitch line is indebted is changing the world of consumer debt recovery for good. But when you unpack that, it, it's helpful to have a look at the way that the, the you know, particularly the collections world worked, um, you know, prior to, to indebted, which is fundamentally a business model that is not really focused on consumer outcome. It's a, a business model that's focused on how many dollars, what's the maximum amount of dollars we can collect from people who are overdue. And there's really not only is there no focus on the consumer outcome or very little, there's really not an appreciation or a passion around, you know, technology and data. And, and those were sort of the three pillars that we, we built the business on. How do we transform this, you know, sort of archaic call center model into a digital first engagement environment? How do we use this sort of take this one size fits all approach and turn that into a, a much more data driven scientific approach that looks at each individual consumer and what's the best way to, to, to engage with them? And then how do we tie all that together and actually make it a good outcome and a, an enjoyable experience for consumers? And so, you know, that was the ethos of where the business started and we've, we've grown sort of continually on the back of that today. And, you know, we're, we're able to provide a far better solution for our clients and a far better solution for consumers who are in debt. And we want to tie all that together, you know, into our longer term vision around actually making, you know, the, the world a better place for those consumers and helping them, you know, back, move, move forward on a path towards, uh, you know, better financial fitness. 
Awesome. So are you, are you guys a B2B player or a B2C or how, how does the model work? I like to think of ourselves as a B2B2C um, in the sense that, you know, so our clients think of, you know, large financial services, organizations, utility, telecommunications, fintech, buy now, pay later, anything in that sort of category. They're our clients. Those are the, the parties that engage us, but they're engaging us to communicate with their customers, which we also refer to as our customers. So in almost like a marketplace model, you've got our clients on the left customers on the right and indebted is essentially the ecosystem and platform in which we engage with those consumers uh, regarding their high level numbers, which help to sort of set the scene uh, about 99% of all the communications we have with consumers is digital. So not a phone call, not a letter, think email, SMS, WhatsApp, live chat, channels like that. Uh, and about 92% of all the consumers that engage with us uh, do so in a self-service format. So they use our product, our app, our website to basically rectify their accounts uh, and deal with their situation as opposed to speaking to us. Um, however, 8% of now a pretty large growing number do want to communicate with us and have a conversation regarding regarding that account. And that's where sort of our you know, quote-unquote call center uh, comes into play. We run a customer service team um, and it's a predominantly digital customer service environment, though we, we still have voice in there as well. Um, and that sort of operates, again, primarily on an inbound basis, more so than an outbound basis, like a traditional collections business. Um, but it's it's much more of a customer service operation than outbound collections call center. Now, are you guys um, just here in Oz or are you international now? So, yeah, we're, we're fully international and we're, we're, for the most part, although we do have some offices around the world, we consider ourselves a you know, remote first, globally distributed uh, team. We were already, I would say, sort of 50% there pre-COVID and then COVID accelerated that across other parts of the business that were otherwise sort of, you know, centered in, in certain regions. So, I, you know, I think last numbers I saw were 260, 270 people across 11 countries uh, around the world. Um, and we're operating out of five markets in terms of our product offering uh, to our clients in five different markets. And in terms of clients, I mean, what kind of growth have you seen in this last 12 months? Yeah, a lot. So like from a, from a top line revenue perspective, we'll finish this um, fiscal year off. So 30 June, a little bit north of 100%, uh, about 120% most likely of, from last year, um, which was up sort of roughly the same again from the year before. Uh, so the top line growth and, and number of clients and logos is growing. The big thing for us, and I think where the business has really taken a different step is our international growth strategy is being driven by our clients. So clients that we, you know, originally brought on board in Australia or New Zealand are the ones pulling us into markets like Canada, like the United States, the UK. Um, and now there's equal amount of demand on, you know, places like Germany, Italy, Spain, and, and France and others across Europe as well. Now, um, in terms of, I guess, you know, the, the product that you have, what's the, the problem? You know, there's a lot of competition to fix the problem. The way that you're fixing it, I'm not aware of much competition at all. Um, but look, if there is, how have you differentiated yourself from them? Yeah, so th th we've definitely got some a couple of venture-backed um, sort of, you know, we call them fintech uh, competitors in the space. Not many, like you mentioned, maybe two or three that are, are really of significant scale. And for the most part, we sort of, I would say, you know, originally operated in a fairly disparate way because the collections industry in particular is a very regionally focused um, sort of, you know, product. So even when you look at a big business, like a large credit card issuer across multiple markets, they'll engage different collection agencies in each market and run different sub teams because it's just never been something you 
could centralize globally. And so it wasn't until we really started to make really significant headwind in international markets, particularly in North America, that we realized that, you know, outside of the fact that we genuinely believe our product is better, the outcomes from the consumer side are clear. We're the most customer-centric collections business in the world. And, you know, the, the consumers say that for themselves. But also the fact that we're able to provide this offering across multiple jurisdictions is something that is today very, very intriguing for particularly financial technology businesses that operate in multiple markets. And it's becoming more and more of interest for large, you know, global credit card issuers and financial services organizations who uh, see an opportunity to consolidate, you know, their collections operations globally and then also work with a partner at the forefront on the tech side and the consumer outcome piece as well. Got you. So how many people is indebted now? Like two, I think last update I saw from the team, I was like 267, 269 people globally. So when you were first on the podcast, which I think was what, a year and a half ago, maybe, um, you were 80 people. How on earth have you managed to triple the size of your business in a period which has been undoubtedly, you know, my 23 years of recruitment, the toughest or tightest talent market the, you know, in, in that period, how have you managed to triple the, the size of your business? Yeah. So I think firstly, uh, you know, a shout out to, to our team themselves, right? So this is a, this is a, this is a team effort and particularly, you know, our broader people team that put a, a ton of work into making this possible. Cause as you mentioned, not only finding and attracting that talent, but onboarding and, and growing and nurturing that talent is also you know, equally difficult, particularly given the, given the scale of growth that you mentioned. I think there's, there's a few things for us. One, we think our, our vision is really spot on. You know, like a, a lot of people are interested in working in technology companies. Um, you know, they're exciting, they're innovative, they're at the forefront of what's happening. But we have a real, you know, social mission that I think underlines what we're trying to do. We're a business and, you know, we, we of course need to, to make revenue and, and make profits, but we, we've found a way to be able to do that in a, in, that provides a far better outcome for consumers. And I think that when we talk about people who want to join the business, they're very much attracted to that idea of, yes, I can write some great code or yes, I can be a part of a great growth team or a client success team, but I can do that, you know, working with clients and consumers to provide a, a far better experience than they would otherwise get. So I think that sort of is probably the bedrock of, of what we're looking at. And then we've put a huge amount of investment into, you know, our, our people sort of initiatives, you know, we call out employee value proposition um, and making it really compelling for people to want to work at Indebted and, and be part of that vision. Yeah. So I think, you know, all the normal sort of options were on the table. And I think as we looked at them in terms of, you know, further investment in talent acquisition and, you know, working with external providers and doing all those things, which we still continue to do today. And it's, it's still a, a fundamental part of, of how we run our, our people operations, but it was hard to identify how one of those things in particular was going to be a standout differentiator and something where we could really, you know, shake the, shake the can essentially and say, like, look, this is something that's very different. It's going to grab a lot of attention and it's something that we can build on as, as a differentiator. And one of the, the stats that I looked at that really stood clear to me was our engineering pipeline. So for talent and looking at how many things we want to build, how much stuff we want to get out. And the fact that we forever, like I'm sure many startups feel this, never have a full engineering team. You, you always have more roles available than you have talent coming in and it seems like a never ending process of just hiring and hiring and hiring. And, and I looked at that and thought, if we had all the roles filled and we'll talk about, and, you know, and I want to talk about productivity in a moment, but even if there was a productivity decrease as a result of any of these initiatives, the ultimate outcome on a reduced amount of productivity on a larger amount of team base was going to be still more output. And so that was really what sort of stood out to me is that 
filling those empty roles and getting people into the business and starting to execute on our product roadmap um, further, irrespective of what any maybe perceived downsides could be, we'll still ultimately push the business forward faster than we were um, without those roles filled. Once To your point, once we landed on, okay, we, we need to fill these roles and, and that is something that's essential, we also had a quick sort of look back into the actual existing organization to just get a sense of really, you know, where everyone was at. And there's two things that really stood out to me. One was it's, uh, and I certainly, you know, I'm speaking for myself here, but I feel like a lot of people agree, is that, it's been a pretty difficult last few years, right? With the world from, from every perspective you can think about it has been thrown a curveball almost consistently. Um, you know, we've been in lockdowns, we have a pandemic and we come out of a pandemic, we have another lockdown, now we've got wars, now we've got a macro environment change. It seems to be one thing after another. And when you've got to deal with all of that external context, whilst at the same time, the craziness of building a startup and, and trying to scale that, it's really hard on people and it's hard on every person in the organization. And as I looked across the business, you could see that. You could see people who are burning out, people who are tired, people who are exhausted and not always just for reasons that are work-related. Obviously, that's a contributing factor, but for the external things as well, haven't been able to see family, haven't been able to travel, have a proper holiday, all of those sort of things. So I took that internal part and overlaid that on the external piece around their talent attraction and also did a bit of assessment more broadly on like what I thought people sort of really cared about in terms of, you know, not just with inside work, but outside of work. And it stood pretty clear to me that this whole work, particularly work from home environment that we're in at the time, we, we basically seemed to live two lives, the lives in front of our computer, which was most of the day, and the couple of hours we spent on the other side of the computer, which didn't really give people time to fill those other things in their life, whether that's family, whether it's external things, philanthropic work, whatever that may be. And so those three things ultimately led to, you know, that first core initiative for us, which was the four-day work week. Um, and then that was a big catalyst into a bunch of other. Yeah. So for us, it's been good. And I think I'd like to preface this with, um, cause I think when people grab the headlines, they think like, okay, Josh is all for four-day work week and the whole world should roll it out. And it's the best thing for everybody. I, I, that's not, that's definitely not my position. I do think the world is moving much more in that direction. Absolutely. Um, however, I think there is a, it's about understanding those sort of core, like you mentioned, rationale for your business and, and what you're trying to solve. So for us, you know, I entered it with that perspective of let's assume simple math is a 20% decrease in productivity. If we've get an X percent increase uh, in, you know, in talent into the business and retain that talent, that the, you know, the, it would be a net positive for the organization. In reality, we saw virtually no decrease in productivity. There were a couple of teams that are obviously consumer and client facing where we needed to staff up a little bit more to support. Um, so you could argue that's just an increased cost as opposed to sort of the, the dip in the productivity piece. But across the board, we, we saw people work smarter instead of just working harder. And I think because of our goal setting processes and the OKRs and things that we'd set prior to that, we were able to sort of balance the two things, which is Indebted still wants to achieve the goals that we've all set and our teams want to achieve the goals that they've set. However, we want to really give this initiative a real shot and really want to see if we can make it work. And then fortunately for us, you know, no deterioration really in productivity, um, but massive improvements in other areas of the business. So when, when you look back over this kind of last 12 months, um, Josh, what are some of the things that you, you're kind of proud about and, and what Indebted has achieved? Yeah, so I think... You mentioned earlier on around, you know, it was a really tough one. It, it still remains a very tough talent market and obviously things are changing now and there's different factors at play. 
I think like the same way we approached our actual business and what we're trying to do with our product and, and the industry we operate in, we sort of sat back as a, as a team and said, what's a way to approach this that's different and that's unique? And, and we really wanted to make sure that we you know, weren't really competing in the same way that everyone else was for talent because we saw that as sort of a zero-sum game and we needed to find a way to differentiate ourselves. And and that resulted in that, you know, huge investment on our EVP and making sure that, you know, what we were providing to candidates was incredibly attractive, but then actually backing it up with a culture um, that we've built. And I think the fact that we've been able to maintain that and, you know, the, you know, the rankings we get in our culture and, you know, pulse surveys, what people say about indebted and obviously, you know, the, the award that we won a couple of weeks back as a reflection of that is definitely the thing I'm, I'm most proud of. Um, you know, we have an incredible team. And you need an incredible team when you build a business environment like the one we've been through and the one we're going into now. So I think for me, it's, it, it all comes down to the team. Why should the fintech community vote for Indebted as people's choice fintech of the year? Yeah, so I, th- I think it has to come back down to the, the vision we have for the company and, and the mission we're trying to execute on for consumers. You know, we've gone through, and you and I were speaking about this just before we started the podcast, we've gone through an incredible bull market over the last few years where a huge exponential growth in, in a whole bunch of different areas. But we're now heading into a macro environment that is going to be particularly challenging for a lot of consumers. And that's the reason we started this business. Um, ironically, and we, we talked about this to investors recently, there's probably never been a worse time to start a debt collection business than the environment we actually built this company in in the last five years. I would argue the next five years is absolutely the apex of, of a business like ours. And we are trying to provide a, an incredibly different experience, not just to treat people with dignity and respect during the collections process, but we are genuinely interested in how we ultimately improve their financial fitness and get them back into mainstream financial services. I think the worst outcome we could have if, if the world or certain markets in the world is to head into a recession is that we see large portions of consumers end up in debt traps that ultimately mean that the only sort of credit they can access after this is high interest loans that keep them in that cyclical nature because that becomes a multi-generational problem and it's the very reason why we started the business. So, you know, we're an amazing place to work. We provide awesome technology and we have all those things that I think a lot of great fintech companies around Australia have. But I think if if there's one thing to differentiate ourselves and the reason I would say, you know, we're, we're worthy of, of, of as many votes as possible is the mission that we're on and, and how we're fixing that industry and, and what it means for consumers as a result. Well, Josh, I've got to say it's been, it is another kind of standout year for finals. Um, the quality of finalists again is kind of through the roof. Testament to yourselves for making it just to the finals and, you know, really, you know, best of luck to everybody at Indebted on the night. Appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. The People's Choice Award is brought to you by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll help you launch, scale, and innovate by finding world-class people.